Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show. It starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah July. I am your host. Glad to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour in the feedback segment today. David writes in and says, I currently have a Linksys AC3200 running OpenWRT. I got this on sale for $100, where I currently have private and guest networks and WireGuard to manage when I'm away from home. I'm having the occasional issue, though, which, while I've been able to work around, I would like to try PFSense to compare the two. Would you please recommend a budget device that could run PFSense for home use for about 20 devices? In faith, Greg. Uh, David Greg. So, a couple of things. Um... If you want the absolute least expensive way to run PFSense, the way to do it, David, is to virtualize. Um, we've done this in a number of different situations. I will tell you that NetGate offers no official support for it, um, and they highly discourage it uh, from, from a support standpoint because it would just be difficult to support. However, it works very, very well. And what it allows you to do, David, is you can purchase a single, like, say, an R720, and you can set that machine up as your virtual host. And because you have more than one network interface, you can pass two of them through to your PFSense VM. This will allow you to spin up a PFSense VM at no cost other than um, some spare NICs on your, on, your, on your existing hypervisor. Well, but no, what if I don't have a hypervisor? Well, you got a couple of options. Um, first thing you can do is there are no shortage of devices that people have hacked PFSense onto. And so you can go on eBay and just type PFSense and people put it on old thin clients. I've seen it. I've seen people flash PFSense onto watch guard firewalls. Uh, those are pretty popular. In fact, there's a couple of guides out there to do that. If you want to purchase your own watch guard and flash fire, uh, 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 excuse me, PFSense onto it. Um, so those are all options for you. If you want a surefired clear path to purchase uh, PFSense, then what I would recommend is either going through uh, one of the vendors like Protect CLI, um, which makes aftermarket third-party basically just generic Intel boxes that you can load PFSense on for a few hundred dollars. Or if you want an official box, really the best thing to do, even though it's a little bit more money than all those other options I just talked about, is the NetGate SG1100. Now, this is the entry-level device from NetGate, but because it's from NetGate, it comes with support from NetGate, which means they're going to help you should you run into problems. Now, we have put the SG1100 into all sorts of, of, of scenarios to include hotels, guest Wi-Fi. It handles it like a champ. Um, it has a 64-bit ARM V8 uh, uh, networking platform that they use. Uh, it has one gigabyte of onboard memory, eight gigabytes of onboard storage, um, and I believe the throughput is a little over a gig. So you're really getting a quality device here. Now, it does cost $200, so it is kind of an expensive um, little guy. And if I'm honest with you, the thing that I dislike most about it is not the performance. It's actually a very performing, it's a very well-performing device. It does all of the things that you would expect from PFSense. And because there is, uh, in addition to the WAN and the LAN port, they also give you an additional Ethernet interface that 
provides for some level of expansion and you can break out into number of networks by setting up VLANs and stuff like that. So it really is uh, an enterprise grade device that will that will serve you well, um, but it's not rack mountable. And so for in a home, doesn't really matter. In a small business, probably not the end of the world. But I have to tell you, as an IT contractor, it is it's uh, it's humbling, I guess we'll say, to walk into a, a business that has a, a one U Zeisel or a one U whatever the other competing brand is and say, well, here's what we'd like to replace your your networking appliance with is, is this little white box here. And when I called NetGate to talk to them about this, I said, you know, is there any way to offer this platform in a rack mount? And they said, yeah, we have a rack mount uh, bracket. I said, great, where is it? Let me see it. I would like to order that. That would be fantastic. This little thing in a rack mount, that'll be perfect. I'm not kidding. It's like a little rubber band that, it's like a little rubber band that stretch, it, it, it's, it's a joke is what it is. And um, so, needless to say, we don't install those, but we do use the SG-1100. So if you're looking for the best, uh, the best all-around device at the lowest price, it's the SG-1100. If you're looking for just the lowest price, um, get creative. Go find a piece of hardware, repurpose it. The other thing you can do, if you have a spare machine sitting around, you can go on Amazon, or you can go on eBay, or Newegg, and order yourself a dual network card, dual network PCI card or a quad card even. And this is a single PCI card that will give you multiple network interfaces. And so even if you have a smaller computer, like it's a small form factor machine or it's a repurposed machine, you still have, even if you don't have enough PCI slots in there to, to get a bunch of network interfaces, you can buy a PCI network, inter a PCI network card that has multiple network interfaces on them. Uh, you can install PFSense onto that box and then that becomes a router. That's actually what we do at UltraSpeed for our in-house testing router. If we want to play in the sandbox, test a scenario out for a, for a customer or a client, that's what we're doing, and that's how we're doing it. Again, open phones this hour, 855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Um, our second email comes from Chris. Chris writes in and he says, hello, Noah. In the most recent Ask Noah show, you responded to a listener email who had a reverse proxy. I'd like to recommend Engine X Proxy Manager. You can learn more at NginexProxyManager.com. Everything runs inside of a Docker container. It's super easy to set up. Supports auto-generated Let's Encrypt certificates. I'm using it in front of multiple applications, Ghostblog, Nextcloud, etc. I highly recommend it. Disclaimer, some apps behind the reverse proxy require configurations to support proxy access, but it's definitely worth it. Thanks so much. I enjoy the show and all of the productions. Best regards, Chris. Our third email comes in from Kyle. Kyle says, hey, Noah, just finished listening to episode 202 and had some additional suggestions for the caller who asked about a starter home lab hardware. As somebody who just went through this process, I wanted to mention the Dell T-Series servers. Steve mentioned in the episode that the rack mount servers were very loud, and both my T610 and my T320 have been quiet as my desktop PC. The caveat is they do take up more space than an R server does. But if you can afford the space, they are very quiet, and it's a great option with all of the horsepower, the equivalent of the R-Series server. Some even have the ability to add rack rails if you want to rack mount them. Thanks again. Keep up the great work. Kyle in Minneapolis. Thanks, Kyle. We appreciate the recommendation. Our fourth email comes in from Ankit. Ankit writes in and says, Hi, Noah. I'm trying to spearhead an initiative to replace our aging paging system in our hospital. 
with a new COM medium. The application can be accessible to one hospital site with features to cluster with other hospital sites as well in the distant future. I wonder if a central system in which I could roll out our rocket chat or a federated matrix system would be more appropriate. Right now, I feel like rocket chat is more appropriate. Thanks. So I don't entirely understand what you're asking about when you ask for paging. Are you talking about overhead paging like through speakers? Are you talking about like the 1980s style beepers that clip onto the onto the belt and, 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 and sound a tone and then display a number or an action item like call this thing or go to this room? What do you mean by paging? I'll go through a couple of options for you. First, we'll start with um, with a speaker system. If you're looking to get into uh, if you're going to do any sort of large paging uh, overhead paging system you absolutely want to stick with uh industry standards and that means you're going to want to follow the sip protocol as it relates to uh, to paging now there's a number of different devices and a number of different manufacturers out there that all make sip paging devices um and i don't I, I, we use algo if that helps you algo um they're a company that primarily makes door intercoms um but they also make uh, SIP paging speakers. But it, whatever the brand you choose, what you're really looking for is conformity to the SIP standard because this is going to allow it to tie into other things. So I'll give you an example. There is a company called, by the name of Barracks, and they make audio encoders and decoders. And so if you weren't going to roll this out in a hospital, you're going to have you know a lot of speakers and you're probably going to want multiple zones because if a, a page goes out for a, a, a particular unit or a particular floor, you don't want it to necessarily go out all over all the hospital Unless there's a tornado or something that applies to all the hospital, then you would. So um, you would you would address that based on zones. Uh, and, and so the barracks box, what it is, is essentially an audio encoder or audio decoder. And you can plug in a barracks decoder into a into a PA amplifier connected to a bunch of speakers. And when a page comes over, it will uh, it will it will play that render that audio. Um, and that's a very simple way that you can use the barracks boxes to accomplish that. Now, the SIP intercom speakers that I'm talking about are actually IP units. They'll be powered by PoE. They'll install onto the ceiling and then you can tie them into your phone system or you could tie it into Matrix because Matrix is going to support SIP. Uh, you could tie it into just about anything and that's going to give you the most amount of flexibility. Now, if you wanted something that you just wanted, I, I just need to get it up and running and maybe I'm overestimating the size of your project. Maybe this hospital is very small. Maybe it doesn't have a very big budget. One kind of off-the-wall solution that I thought of that might apply here is the Unify system actually has an education series access point, and that education series access point comes with a built-in speaker and microphone. You pair the access point up to the controller, and you're able to actually use the access point to send out a voice page. Now, let's say you're not talking about voice. Let's say you're talking about the traditional, like beep, 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 and you look down, there's a phone number or an action item. Um, I would absolutely encourage you to go the matrix route. And I would encourage you to go the matrix route because if you look, Rocket Chat is a great product. Mattermost is a great product. Both Mattermost and Rocket Chat are open source. What Mattermost, in my opinion, what Mattermost and Rocket Chat are missing is the bigger picture of decentralized encrypted uh, communication protocol. If you notice, if you if you follow what happens with Matrix, you'll understand that Matrix that uh, Matthew and the entire Matrix team are just as committed to establishing the Matrix protocol and establishing the standard in which Matrix functions as they are developing the app. In fact, to a certain degree, one could even argue 
that the standard and the protocol is almost more important to them than the actual application. And if you run Element, it's very clear. They're very honest about what it is they're trying to accomplish. They're very honest about saying Element is a piece of software designed to showcase all of the features of the matrix protocol. Synapse is a server designed to feature all of the, or designed to exemplify all the features of the matrix protocol. And then they're building things like Dendrite and Hydrogen, which Dendrite is the, uh, is the, is the next generation matrix server and Hydrogen, the next generation matrix client. So they have a really large 50,000 foot view of what decentralized communication looks like. And so if I were put in charge tomorrow of building a system for a hospital or a clinic or anything really, and I wanted to make sure that it was going to live long into the future, I would a hundred percent do that on matrix. If I could, uh, if you're looking to do text-based paging, right? If you think about it, matrix is the perfect protocol to implement something like that, because it has a couple of key things you're going to need, particularly working in healthcare. First off, right off the bat, it's encrypted, which means it's going to comply with HIPAA. End-to-end -end encryption means that only the people that are in that room that are going to get that page uh, are, the, the, all of that's going to be encrypted and only those people have the key or only their devices really have the key to that room. And so it's secure by default. The other thing that you have going for it you is that matrix really doesn't define the payload, right? You can deliver just about anything. And in fact, we do at AltaSpeed. So a, an example of kind of how we use this is when an email comes into our ticket system or an alert comes in from a server or a site goes down or whatever it is, all of those flows, because there's obviously a bunch of different automation things that happen before it gets to a human to do some intervention. But when all of those automation fails or when we're not able to automatically bring a system back up, every one of those flows terminate in the same place. And that flow terminates with, it generates a matrix message and delivers it into a room. Now that can be a collection of people, it can be a single person, but the matrix API is flexible enough that you can decide dynamically where those alerts are going to go. And because the alerting system in matrix itself is so customizable, it means that you can decide, hey, when I get an alert in this channel, I wanna push notification no matter what. When I get alert over in this channel, I just wanna read it when I have time. And that kind of granularity I have found to be practically non-existent in any other chat platform. And so if I have an opportunity to implement Matrix somewhere, I would totally do that. Like I said, I think you're building for the future. As to the exact process of how to do that, um, it's early days, right? Because you're only a year out of beta. You could just have people install the app on their phone uh, and deal with it that way. And indeed, that's what we're doing at AltaSpeed. But we are we're slowly venturing down the path of trying to build dedicated matrix alerting devices. And so we have one of those Elgo uh, devices that I was telling you about, a SIP device, except instead of being a speaker, this is actually a flashing light. Um, and so we've put that, uh, or playing with it anyway, to install it over at the shop, and I'm going to put one at my house. And so when there's an urgent alert, uh, the, the light will go off, and I will know that I need to go find my way to a computer. And what I'm hoping what that allows me to do is be able to receive an urgent notification without being glued to my phone. If there's anything I would encourage you or anybody else to do, it's don't be addicted to technology. Don't be, be in the moment, hang out with your family, hang out with your friends, those kinds of things. And so when you have emergencies that require your attention, we need some way to break through the, I'm not looking at my screen right now. I think Matrix is probably one of the only tools that can do that as well as it does right now. That's open source. Hope that helps you. Again, 855-450-NOAH, that's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. That is the number to join us. You can call uh, or text that same number. We'd love to have you. Um, 
Our pick of the week is Live Buds CLI. You can learn more at github.com. Actually, we'll have the link for you in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com. Jaji official slash Live Buds CLI. This is a open source program designed to control your Galaxy Buds. So you can control things like the equalizer, the touchpad lock, uh, the accessory control. You get the Buds status, including the battery, current equalization settings, those kinds of things. Auto music play and pause with the bud remove when you pull them out of your ear. Uh, desktop notifications for low battery, multiple device support, individual device configs, JSON output for scripts, uh, bash completion for every shell, change touchpad on tap action and change config options from the CLI. So this, if you have a pair of Galaxy Buds and you wanted to control them or work with them from Linux, now you have the opportunity to do that. You can learn more by checking out the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow.com. In the news this week, we're back to Matrix. Matrix.org had a fantastic publication. Matthew Hodge and the, uh, the, the, the project lead for Matrix uh, wrote a very interesting article uh, in response to seven governments coming out and saying that they want access to encrypted communications. They published a very long uh, letter, uh, an agreement between companies basically saying, hey, we're calling on technology companies to do something. People are using encrypted technology to exploit children, to exploit other people, and we need to tamp down on that. And what I liked about Matthew's article was he he avoids getting into telling people why they're wrong. or te- he, he focuses purely on the technical aspect. Here's what you say you want to achieve. Here's how you're saying you're trying to achieve it. Here's why that's technologically not going to work. Here's what you should do instead. So what Matthew says is end-to-end encryption is nowadays a completely ubiquitous technology, and any attempt to legislate against it is like trying to turn back the tide or declare a branch of mathematics illegal. What he's saying is, and I've said it on the program myself before, you can't put the genie back into the bottle, okay? We have encryption. We know encryption. We understand encryption. Anybody who has 10 minutes of free time can go on Google and figure out how to use proper encryption and and compile that into a project. Quote, even if Matrix did compromise its encryption, users could easily use a number of other approaches to additionally secure the conversations, from PGP to OTR to using one-time pads to sharing content and password-protected zip files, or they could just switch to an end-to-end chat system operating in a jurisdiction without backdoors. I think it goes even further than that because the reality is the people that are doing bad things know how to get around the platforms that are being watched, that are being monitored, or that aren't secure, right? Quote, finally, in Matrix's specific case, Matrix is an encrypted decentralized open network powered by open source software where anyone can run a server, even if the Matrix core team were obligated to add a backdoor, this would be visible to the wider world, and there would be no way to make the wider network adopted. It would simply damage the credibility of the core team, push encryption development to other countries, and the wider network would move on irrespectively. And you know what's great about that? This is exactly what he wanted. This is exactly what Matthew wanted. I guarantee you when he was when 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 the Matrix team was coming up with the spec and when they were laying out how all of this was going to work in practice, this is a conversation they have likely rehearsed a thousand times. What are we going to do when somebody says, 
hey, now we want pressure on you to encrypt to not to not encrypt your communication. And here's the particularly slimy thing. All of these countries from the French government to the U.S. government to I, I saw another one this week too. Uh, this week in Matrix. Uh, uh, this week, Matrix Live, they were talking about some, some another country that signed on. All of these countries are using Matrix or a competitor to Matrix because they want to encrypt their communication because they don't want other governments and other people spying on them. But when the citizens want to do that, that all of a sudden is is not tolerable. So this leaves us at a very interesting precipice. Because you have a bunch of governments saying people are doing illegal things, they're using your platform on it. Do you, is that what you wanted? And Matthew goes on to say, no, that's decidedly not what we want. And it's decidedly not why we built Matrix. But here's another option for you. Quote, what if we had a standardized way to let users themselves build up and share their own views of other users, messages, rooms, servers, etc.? are obnoxious or not, what if you could visualize and choose those filters to apply to your view in Matrix, just like the web, email, or the internet as a whole? There is literally no unilateral sensor or block content in Matrix, but what we could do is provide a first-class infrastructure to let users, room, community moderators, and server admins make up their mind about who to trust, what content to allow. This would provide a means for authorities to publish a reputation data about illegal content providing privacy respective mechanism that admins mods and users can uh can keep illegal content away from their server or client the model we currently have in mind is this anyone can gather reputation data about a matrix room user servers community or content and they can publish it to as wide or narrow of an audience as they like providing their subjective score on whether something in matrix is positive or negative in a given context this reputation data is published in a privacy-preserving fashion, i.e. you can look up reputation data if you know the ID being queried, but the data is stored pseudonymously, ID indexed by a hashed ID. Anyone can subscribe to the reputation feeds and blend them together in order to inform how they filter their content. The feeds might be their own data or it might be friends or from a trusted source. Felt like a fact-checking company. Their blended feeds can be republished as their own. To prevent users getting trapped in a fractional filter bubble of their own device, we will provide a UI to visualize and warn about the extent of their filtering and make it easy and fun to shift their viewpoint as needed. Admins running servers in particular jurisdictions have the option to enforce whatever rules they need to enforce on their servers. So they might want to subscribe to reputation feeds from trusted sources such as the IWF, identifying um, sexual content, or use it to block their server entirely. This this isn't just about combating abuse, but it's the same system that can be used to empower users to filter out spam, propaganda, unwanted NSFW content, etc. on their own terms. This forms a relative reputation system. And this is a key point here that, 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 uh, that Matthew has come back to because a couple of people have, have pushed back on this a little bit. And as Matthew's continued to explain, the, the relative portion of the reputation system is important, right? Because it depends on your point of view. As uncomfortable as it may be, and this I, I really like this, as uncomfortable as it may be, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, and different jurisdictions have different laws. It's not up to Matrix.org or the foundation to play God. Each user and moderator and admin should be free to make up their own mind and decide what reputation feeds to align themselves with. 
That's not to say that the system would help users locate extreme content. The privacy-preserving nature of the reputation data means that it's only useful to filter out material, which would otherwise already be visible to you, not to locate new content. Now, again, I love people who have put so much time and thought that they've answered all of the questions before they've ever begun. And every time I look at the roadmap for Matrix and what this organization is doing, I see exceptionally good things. I see a very well thought out plan. I see a very cohesive team. I see people with goals. I see people that are solving fundamental problems that exist in communication right now, and they're doing it with open source and they're doing it in a big way. I see them approaching governments and getting hundreds of thousands of people at a time onto this ecosystem uh, that is federated. And so once they're there, they're not going to leave. I, I'll bet you in the last probably three months since I've been playing with Matrix, I have had one person after the other come up to me and tell me, well, I've just got my whole family on Signal or my whole family on Telegram or my whole family on WhatsApp or my whole family on this. And I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get them onto another platform. And I want to be clear with you. I don't think that right now is the time to move everybody under the sun over to the Matrix infrastructure. If they're interested, if you want to play with it, absolutely. I think we need to wait a little bit until it gets down to the point where there's a very simple app just for uh, personal chat. Um, speaks to the Matrix protocol on the back end, something like Fluffy Chat, something like Ditto, but maybe a little bit more fleshed out. When that happens, that's when I think it's time to start getting other users and, 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 and normal plebs uh, signed up on, onto Matrix. I also think what'll happen someday is some large company is eventually going to say, hey, you know what we really want? We want the chat functionality, but you know what we really don't want? We really don't want to have to maintain chat functionality. So if we just pick up the matrix protocol and set it down inside of our product, then we're going to have the opportunity to have a chat platform. Absolutely fantastic stuff. I highly recommend you read both the original opinion piece or the original, uh, I guess, cumulative letter agreement from, from all of these countries, as well as the opinion piece from Matthew, um, kind of addressing point by point. I think it does a really, really fantastic job of summing up why fighting encryption is a fool's errand and why it's more important than ever that we get on the front side of owning this technology and on the front side of making sure we clean up these communities, keep them clean and keep the people that want to do bad things to other people out and away. The only way that these people succeed is because, and Matthew points this out in the article, a lot of them aren't in encrypted rooms. A lot of them are out in the public because they're trying to garner attention. They're trying to get people in. And it's important that we take, that we take a stand and say, no, we're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. And so if we see it in Matrix, and you better hope that you don't come to Linux Delta and do it because you'll just find yourself banned. Again, 855 450 it's 855 The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Is it Tellen calls from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Tellen, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Uh, me and my fiance sometimes view explicit websites, and that leads to clicking on an unsecured site. We are both 21 and don't have too much money, so we can't really afford a VPN or another pricey service. Okay. Uh, is there an OS I can use with a very good native malware defense, or is there another cheap antivirus option we can use? Yeah, you actually, yeah, so the, you, there's a couple of options. So, okay, so the first thing that you could do is you could go get a free VPN account from something like ProtonMail, right? Um, the second thing that you could do, though, is you could use a distribution that is amnesic. Uh, something like Tails. It won't matter if malware gets onto the system because every time you reboot the system, uh, you're starting with a fresh install. 
So that th those are two ways you can get around it. If you're looking for actual malware software, I don't know of any malware software on Linux because frankly, we don't deal with malware on Linux very often. On on a, on a Windows machine though, uh, Malwarebytes is, is kind of the go-to if we're trying to clean up a machine um, that's gotten hit with malware. And uh, in in the last three or four years that we've been that we've been using it and dealing with cryptoware cleaners, it's caught everyone. Um, or found all of the machines that were infected. So I think it does a pretty good job. But um, but yeah, your 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 best bet is to have either a dedicated machine that doesn't that doesn't store any persistent data at all, um, or like you said, using using a VPN. But again, but again, a VPN is really more about just protecting your privacy. It's really not going to do so much to prevent you from getting malware. Uh, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. You said Proton. Um, can you go into more detail about how that? prevent uh, malware from getting on my computer. Yeah, you bet. So uh, actually, it, I, the more I thought about it, it doesn't. VPN is not going to um, is not going to pro <clears throat> protect uh, malware from getting onto your computer. But uh, Proton offers a free VPN. And so you can go to protonvpn.com. And the only limitation is they only have servers in three countries. So you don't get uh, you don't get the, the full 50 countries uh, of VPN connections. They also don't have high speed. It's it's a, it's a medium speed and you can only have one simultaneous connection, but it's free. So um, that would that would be a good way to start. But yeah, you're right. I, I had I had to think about it all the way through. It's not that's not going to do anything really to prevent malware. It's just going to protect your privacy and it's going to prevent your ISP from knowing what sites you're visiting. Okay, thank you, Noah. I'll uh, consider my options, and uh, hopefully I can find something to do. Yeah, yeah. Give me a call back. If it doesn't work out for you, we'll uh, we'll find something else. Again, 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Corey calls from Texas. Hey, Corey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Uh, I've been having a hard time with finding a stable film editing software. And I was wondering if you had any recommendations. Yeah, I even tried the, uh, a snap version of KDN Live. It would never open. I okay. So let, let's let's back up a little bit. So first things first. I in the past I've recommended Lightworks, and I've recommended Lightworks because it's one of the only professional pieces of video software on Linux that supports. All of the functionality that you need when you start getting into large video production, things like multicam, uh, those kinds of things. Recently, though, I have switched. Mm -hmm. to I have switched to Caden Live, and I've switched to Caden Live for for primarily three reasons. The first is it actually is more performant than Lightworks. The second reason is they have gotten to the point now where Caden Live is really drilled in around a digital workflow, and Lightworks is still trying to migrate back from when they were a film company and they were, they're still working with, uh, with film. And so there's things like detaching and reattaching and slipping film and a bunch of things okay. that don't apply anymore. Right. So I have, I've switched over to Caden live. Now I don't use the snap. I use the, 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 the package right from the, the, the Debian repository. And the, the reason for that is I have run into some issues with snaps. I'd say 95% of the time they work just fine, but there's some little weird oddities. For me with Caden Live specifically, it wasn't that it didn't open. It's that I was having trouble with the theming of all things. And um, I just, I can't work in a okay. video editor for eight hours yeah. if it doesn't have a dark theme. Uh, call me first world crazy. But uh, but yeah, I switched to Caden Live. Yeah, I... Go ahead. 
So I've switched right. to Caden Live, and that works very, very well. Have you tried and have you tried or considered installing it from the uh, from the repository? Yes, and it's working somewhat. It was, it's just been acting weird. It's like this G Debbie installer issue that I've yep. been having. I got I got into MX Linux and it started working again. So it's like it's it's really weird right now. L- let me ask you this: What kind of hardware are you running this on? I was on Debian. No, what kind of hard what kind of hardware? What kind of hardware do you have? Oh, AMD with a Nvidia graphics card. How old is it? Two years. Actually. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that should be plenty fine. Yeah, I, here's here's what I would do, Corey. I would I would start if it's if it's working on MX Linux. I would maybe try and just tweak that a little bit. There's the other thing too, and I'll see if I can find this. I don't have it off the top of my head, but there is uh, there is something that there there's a setting that if you change and it it has to do with the way that it 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 renders the 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 video file. You change the the cache size or something like that, and it. And it drastically improves the 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 smoothness and the performance of Caden Live. I can't remember exactly what the setting is or where it is, but I'll see if I can find that and get it over to you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. 855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. It's Pine Hacktoberfest at pine64.org. As many of you have noticed, the Pine 64 store has now moved to its own dedicated domain. It is pine64.com from its previous subdomain of store.pine64.org. The purpose of moving the store to a commercial domain was to denote its separation from all community-run services and subdomains at pine64.org. We hope that this will help distinguish the two sides of Pine 64, that of a business and a community-run project. Now, the new store has uh, has a number of features, but Pine64 is doing cool things. So the first thing that they're doing is community-created content for Pine64 YouTube and library channels. Um, the Manjaro PinePhone CEOS build is, fi- is finished and has been sent to the factory yesterday. The first two back covers add wireless Qi charging uh, and NFC. The PinePhone keyboard, if you haven't seen this, oh my gosh, I was looking at renders. 3D renders of what this is going to look like. They have they are turning the Pine Phone into like a little portable computer. I've been how long have I been saying on this program? Probably since episode one that I've really wanted a portable Linux computer that I can just carry with me everywhere and trust. This is going to turn the Pine Phone into a greenlit clamshell design with a massive battery. Of course, the PineCube is available for purchase. We talked about that a few weeks ago. PineCube is their open source IP camera. It's coming along. It's doing really well. You can read more about that uh, at pine64.org. And the pencil. This is so cool. It's the Pine64 soldering iron. It's an open source firmware uh, powered soldering iron. And I have to tell you something. Everything I liked playing with as a child is now available for purchase from Pine64. The difference between the real geeks and the consumer of electronics are the people who ask what a device can do for them versus what can I do with that device? And every t- I've tried to drill this into my kids every single time we go into a store and they say, Daddy, can I have this? First question I ask, what do you want to do with it? If they can come up with an answer for that, if they have a reason why they want that thing, then I'm happy to purchase it for them. But if it's just, hey, I want to buy this thing and I want to see what it can do for me, no. 
That's not us leveraging technology. That's technology leveraging our pocketbooks. I'm in control of the thing. The thing is in, in control of me. Uh, Pine builds on all of this, right? They build all of their devices without much consideration as to what you want to do with it. They don't build a device and say, well, this is what you're going to have to use it for. This is what you're going to have to do. No, they just build a device because they want to make a good piece of hardware at a great price. And in the same way that Radio Shack soldering irons back in the day were awesome. And then when they switched over to being made in China and went to, to total crud, I switched over to Weller. But it's $100 for a good soldering iron, right? This $24.99 plugs in through USB-C, completely open spec. How much better does it get? Right. And then on the camera side, how many people call this program specifically and say, what camera should I buy? I want to play with a camera. I want to play with IP cameras. Well, now you can buy a Pine 64 camera and start to play. And here's what I like about the way that Pine has structured this. They talk about the two companies. What you want in life is two companies, one to sell you tech and and one to sell you the individual pieces. The one that sells you the individual pieces is inexpensive and you put it together yourself, but you can learn and you can play and you can customize. And then once you get it dialed in and you know what you want, then you need to be able to go back to a company and say, this is the thing I want and I need somebody that can deliver this uh, to me. And Pine is now doing both of those things. They deliver the thing for you when you want it immediately and they have something that you can just go buy if you get to a point where you say to yourself, hey, I need to be able to install this for a client. 1-855-450-NOAH, that's 855-450-6624, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. This week on the Ask Noah Show, we invite Lindsay from System76 to talk about their new mega Thaleo system. She joins us on the program. Our next guest on the program, it is Lindsay Cross. She is an engineer from System76, the company that makes machines born to run Linux. She's with us on the program. Lindsay, welcome into the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time to be here. So you guys are announcing the release uh, of the Thaleo Mega, the world's smallest quad-core GPU workstation for deep learning and scientific computing. This is a monster machine, a multi-core Threadripper, three CPUs, up to 256 gigabytes of EEC memory, PCI, MVME storage. This thing does it all. So, Lindsay, I want to start by talking about both uh, with the AMD Choice and the NVIDIA side for graphics, but you've centered on Ryzen for the CPU you talk about that is that a better performance and experience under Linux yes with kind of the experience we're kind of going with gearing towards machine learning and some deep learning processing it was definitely the best option uh, Carl might be the best to answer that but uh, from what I've heard with all of the testing he's been doing and honing in on it the Ryzen was the best choice there let me ask you uh, a little bit about the thermal systems. I understand that the thermal systems on this machine are incredible. There's not one, but two different systems. What makes this thermal cooling system unique to the Thaleo Omega? Yeah, we uh, definitely focused on cooling individual parts of this monster, if you will. Uh, so we have a very specific CPU ducting system to kind of cool the Ryzen uh, on its own. And it's completely separate from the GPUs because they're, you know, both uh, have a crazy amount of power that we need to kind of get out of the system. Um, so we have our special CPU duct focusing on that. And then for the GPUs, we kind of focused on blowing uh, fans directly on them and kind of treating it as its own thermally isolated chamber. 
and making sure that we could cool the GPUs on their own. Um, and then we also focused on, you know, there's other parts of the system that heat up a bit. You know, the memory will quite a bit, um, even the RAM will, uh, if you are using it in specific applications. So we focus the intake ducts to kind of cover the rest of it. Um, and they kind of all work together independently um, so that they're not trying to all do the same thing at once, if you will. This is a uh, this is a, again a monster of a machine, and one of the things that we find anytime you order uh, large, very purpose-built computers is that sometimes they're difficult to work in. Now you talk about this machine uh, being small and compact, and 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 yet not compromising on the on the power. All these parts must be crammed in there, and it's probably very difficult to work on. It probably has to be sent back to the manufacturer to add things like memory or hard drives, right? Not necessarily. Well, not at all. Um, that's kind of what I focused on, really. I kind of come from a product building background and thinking through the user experience of how to build things to make it easy for the user. And in this case, we wanted to make it super easy for a user to add memory, add RAM. If they want to, you know, change out their GPUs, they could easily do that um, without it being a headache. So all they have to do is take off the case and everything is... Uh, right there and easy and hopefully um, we'll, we'll add some tutorials and we'll have a product sheet that'll kind of walk everyone through if they want to do something specific but it should be so easy and if it's not then come talk to me and we'll make it work. <laughs> so the idea is this is built around serviceability it's built to be uh, serviceable and even though it's an expensive workstation you guys have 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 taken the extra step to make sure that people actually own this machine and they can use it for their purposes. Let me ask you this the thing Thalio is made right here in the United States. It's made in Denville, Colorado. Talk about why System76 brought that production here to the U.S. Yeah, um, when you crunch the numbers and um, you kind of think through how um, we need to make changes quickly and make changes so that our customers are getting um, the right product and it's not overheating and um, just taking input really quickly. Uh, we found that it was so much easier and the margins were better to build out here. And it was much better to have control over the system. That's the big thing is, you know, for example, we tested the ECC memory on the Mega a couple days ago and now we're already launching with it. Um, we would not be able to do that if we had outsourced this. And um, I, I can't, I don't complain. It's super fun. I'm in the factory right now. Um, I can hear the mill going. I can hear the laser going. Um, it's just so much better to be able to control everything and uh, make changes quickly. Talk a little bit about this factory that, that you guys built. This is a recent addition to System76 since the last time I was there, but this enables you to, to produce these machines right here in the U.S. Uh, how long does it take for these machines to run through your production assembly? If somebody orders a computer, how long does it take to actually build uh, from, from start to finish? Yeah, um, if we're super focused, we can build it super quickly in a couple days. Um, we're still, you know, working through how many of these we need to pre-build at a time based on demand, um, so things can go out quickly. But um, our production team, they are actually like cutting the metal, bending the metal, powdering it. Um, that goes through in like two to three days. And then our assembly team, they take like one to two days to build it up once they have all the parts they need. Um, so if everything is in line and everything's perfect, just a couple days to build out an awesome machine for our customers. Now, the Thaleo Omega is not a budget device. This is, this is on sale to the general public. It goes on sale today, and it has a base price of $7,499.99. Now, uh, 
Lindsay, I'll ask you, what is your target audience for this device? I know most people are probably not buying a $7,500 machine to watch Netflix and chill. Um, who, what, what, what are some specific use cases that somebody would say, hey, you know what? This is the kind of machine that you don't buy from a Dell. You don't buy from a Lenovo. You buy it from System76 because you need it to run Linux. You need it to run well, and you need it to perform well. Yeah. Um, what, what One person that actually comes to mind is my brother. He's... Um, doing, getting his PhD in neuroscience and doing some crazy deep neural networks. And he's basically, since he has to work from home right now, he has to use this kind of old laptop and it's taking him a weekend to, you know, run his neural networks. Whereas if he had a machine like this, it could take him hours. Um, and it's small enough that he could have it in his tiny apartment and not have to like work on a server um, at school. And so the idea is that we're kind of honing in on those that are doing some real serious computing. Um, if they're trying to work through some neural networks, if they're doing machine learning, this would be perfect. And it's perfect for them to just have in their you know, apartment, their house, anywhere. Um, it doesn't need to be on a server farm, which is uh, hopefully ideal for a lot of those uh, customers. With production, though, in the United States, if there is a college out there, or there is a university or, 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 or a, a firm, a medical firm or something like that, that wants to have, uh, that wants to contract with System 76 to just outfit their facility, um, the in-house production in the United States gives you the possibility of saying, yeah, we can go ahead and ramp up production and get you machines if you need to outfit your lab. Absolutely. And our, our sales team is more than willing to work with them and just figuring out what their needs are and all of our products are super customizable, so um, we can make whatever their application is, we can make it work. Lindsay, every time I've worked with System76 or had an experience with System76, it's always been a pleasant one because you guys are a fun group of people and you really care about the work you're doing. So I have to ask, tell me the funnest story, tell me the most memorable thing that you remember uh, on, on the path to making this machine a reality. Hmm, let's see. Um, it probably, you know... It's kind of funny to say, but it's almost fun when you blow up the machine, if you will. Sure. Um, I think the first time we plugged it in, Carl and I actually uh, blew up this $1,000 motherboard um, by having the power supply uh, button plugged in the wrong way. And so it's kind of funny that, you know, Carl has been doing this for so many years and I've been working with electronics for so many years and we're just so excited to get this thing up and running. Just didn't check the connections and there you go. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Some, sometimes it's just the simple things. Well, Lindsay, I can't congratulate you enough uh, for all of, and, and thank you enough for all of the hard work that you and the rest of the team at System76 has done to continue to improve the quality of machines that we can purchase uh, Linux on. There are a lot of other manufacturers that are now getting into that game, but there is no denying the fact that you guys were there first. You guys have been serving the Linux community and people that need Linux, that need to be able to depend on Linux to get their job done. You guys are the company that has been producing hardware and supporting it um, since as long, long as I can remember. So uh, thank you for the for the for the continued work that you do and for the amazing new product of the Thelio Mega. It's on sale right now. Details can be found at system76.com. Lindsay, before we get out of here, anything else you want to add? No, thank you. I'm just uh, excited to help contribute to the open hardware revolution here and make sure that uh, every piece of hardware you get from us um, is super and easy accessible and works for your needs and if it isn't then I hope you come chat with us. 
Her name is Lindsay Cross. She is a mechanical engineer at System76, the company who makes machines born to run Linux. Go pick up your Thaleo Mega Pro on sale today at System76.com. Lindsay, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Thanks, Noah. Again, 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Google finally filed, or well, the, I should say the Department of Justice finally filed their long-awaited antitrust suit against Google. Now, this is going to unpack uh, over, over a period of months, maybe years. Um, but after investigating Google for more than a year, the Justice Department has finally issued an antitrust lawsuit against the search giant, alleging that the company is unlawfully maintaining monopolies in markets for general search services, search advertising, and general search text advertising in the United States. So for those of you who are younger than, uh, I don't know, 25, 20, uh, the, the first round that we had with this was was back in the back in the 90s where Microsoft basically said, uh, I'm, we're not going to, we want you to use Internet Explorer. And there was an alternative browser called Netscape Navigator that wanted to be on there. And there was a big fight and went back and forth. And that eventually uh, went to court. And of course, this is on the heels of back in uh, the 80s um, where AT&T and Mabel got broken up for being too large of a company. And so we're watching that happen. The question is going to be, has Google become a monopoly so large that it stamps out its competition? And I, I, while I, I'm glad to see that there are people that are trying to make sure that it's a fair place for, for companies to compete, I'm not entirely convinced that Google is so much of a monopoly, a monopoly that nobody can compete, right? I say that because... Google, in their response, which uh, will have both the the Justice Department um, article from ARS Technica as well as an article from TechCrunch um, that references the, the this response that Google posted on a on a blog, basically saying we're not a monopoly. People just use us because we're better. And uh, you know, do I? Th- I think that I think that. When just like when you have any two people that disagree about something, there's one side, there's the other side, and then the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't necessarily buy the fact that people are so dumb that they can't figure out how to use something other than Google to search the internet. I'm just not buying it. Additionally, Google or Google in their blog post had a GIF that outlined exactly how you go about changing your default search engine in Chrome. Now, is it a little bit more of a pain in the tuckus because of Windows 10? Yes, but that's not Google's fault. And at the end of the day, I I live on DuckDuckGo, right? The default search engine on my laptop, as well as my browser on, on, on all my studio machines, on all my machines at home, it's DuckDuckGo. It just is. But at the end of the day, I work as an IT consultant. And what that means is it's my responsibility to know why things don't work and get them fixed. And oftentimes somebody else has already solved a problem and it's just a function of sorting through the massive cesspool that is the internet to find that information. And unequivocally, if you want that information, the best way to get it is Google. Now there's a number of different ways that you can go about trying to preserve your privacy. You can use VPNs, you can use extensions, all sorts of different ways you can do it. But at the end of the day, ask anybody that works in tech and they will tell you that the best search engine out there is Google. And the reality is 
Part of the reason that Google is as good as it is is because it has contextual information. When I search for a quality in in DuckDuckGo, it gives me some random quality in because it doesn't know my location. Now, when I see that, I don't get upset about it. I'm like, well, I was give me a quality in in Austin, Texas. I'm in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I look at it and I say to myself, well, I'm glad they don't know I'm in Austin, Texas. That's kind of cool that they just it just searches the web. Right. But that contextual information is critical when you're, you know, trying to find directions to the next place or trying to find a phone number very quickly so you can call that hotel or cancel that reservation or whatever it is. Those are the kind of little bit of uh, of paper cuts that Google removes and the kind of features and functionality that exist in Google only because they're able to scrape your data. When I get an email about a flight and it automatically adds it to my calendar, that's a cool function. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not telling you that you should put up with privacy invasive garbage just because it's a little bit more convenient. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm telling you is before we get on our high horse and trot to sue Google as being a monopoly and make this big stink about, hey, we need to make sure that it's fair for all search in the whole web, just consider what it is that just consider the value that Google does provide to us as people who use technology. What what is the value of that and what happens if that goes away or is diminished? Is that really what we want? I don't want Google in charge of my data any more than you do. I don't want Google to be the largest search engine provider any more than the Department of Justice or anybody else listening to this show. But it is universally true that I want people to make better choices. I don't want to use the rule of government. I don't want to use the the, the rule of law. Uh, to force a company to make a decision because I, I just don't think that's going to breed a better internet. Um, I think it's going to breed a more complicated internet and, and a less free internet. So we'll continue to track the case. Obviously, like I said, this is going to unfold uh, over a period of time. Uh, and so it's going to be a while before we really, uh, before we really learn uh, what's going to come out, but we'll continue to follow the story and bring you uh, up to date as uh as it unfolds, Triskel 9.0 has been released. It's one of the few distros that is approved by the Free Software Foundation, and that means that it's 100% free software without any binary blobs or any proprietary software. And I want to be clear, this is not for everybody. It's only if you're a peak nerd and really want to really want to dig in uh, to owning your technology, like all of it, all the little bits. Uh, by default, it ships with the uh, Mate desktop. It's based on the popular fork of GNOME 2. Uh, this edition provides a classic desktop environment, matches the user experience from, from previous Trisco releases. Uh, there's also a Trisco Mini, which is a lightweight version for older machines and netbooks based on the LXDE desktop environment and has a selection of resource-saving applications to bring new life into your hardware. There's Trisco running the KDE environment. This would be my chosen uh, desktop environment. It's excellent for customizing the design and look in fine detail. Also, it just happens to be the best desktop environment offered by Linux. Driscoll net install image to deploy a command line install interface, ideal for servers and advanced users. Triscoll Toast. It's based off the Sugar Learning Platform, comes with a dozen educational activities and for children. Now, I have to tell you real quickly, the Sugar uh, Learning Platform is what was originally shipped on uh, on those uh, on the uh, OLPC, one laptop per child. Uh, and, and, and my kids, two of them, two of the three kids grew up with OLPCs and loved the Sugar Learning Platform and then later transitioned into GNOME. Um, again, this is not for everybody. It's a lot of hardware is not supported because of the requirements. Uh, typically, Wi-Fi doesn't work terribly well. But if you're willing to get the appropriate hardware, then you have the opportunity to run your operating system free of any potential nasties. It's 
it's just going to work. And so if if you're interested in exploring deeper into the freedom respecting uh, open code, if you want to find out what a truly open source top to bottom operating system looks like, download the latest version of Trisco, take a look at it, see what you think, give it a test drive. By the way, and this is uh, this is exactly the kind of news that we leave as the uh, as the as the outro music rolls. Uh, Edge is available for Linux, and so if anybody wanted to install Microsoft Edge, uh, we'll have the links in the show notes, and then you can install the privacy-invading piece of crap on your perfectly good Linux box. That's something you want to do. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. It was fun. We record the show every Tuesday at 6 p.m. You can join us. Get the latest by following us on Twitter, at AskNoahShow. You can get all of the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow. That has all the links, articles that we reference. Come back next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central. We'll have another show. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.